Hey Northwest Ohio, are you tired of just surviving? Are you ready for some fresh ideas? You've come to the right place. The Thrive Tribe 419 podcast features local experts in wellness and experiencing the best life has to offer in the Midwest. Let's thrive together. Hello, my name is Rose and I'm a racist. Welcome to episode 10 of the Thrive Tribe 419 podcast. When I started this podcast, I swore that I was not going to talk about politics or religion because I want to have a place where people can thrive um, and not argue. But today we're going to go there. Um, I'm going outside my comfort zone. We're going to talk about racism. Racism, I believe, transcends politics and religion, which you will hear about um, later in the podcast. But we do have to go there. Um, It is somehow interwoven into the web of racism. So if you're offended by this, keep an open mind or turn it off. Um, If you choose to, to continue listening... Whether you like what you hear or not, I'd love to hear your feedback. I can promise you that I'm probably not politically correct. I don't know the correct terminology to use about these things. I am still learning. Um, We're all still learning. So what I'm doing today is we're doing a panel discussion. There are four of us here. The first person is Amoy Russell. She is an international student at Defiance College. She's from St. Mary, Jamaica. She's studying to be an intervention specialist. She is an honor student. She's a senior this year. She is the creator of an educational organization called DREAM. She's a member of the Black Action Student Association. Uh, And she is a member of a group called Free the Slaves. It's a local chapter, and last year they received the Ohio Liberator of the Year Award. Um, so she has a very unique perspective to share on this issue of racism. Our second participant today is my husband, Matt. Some of you may remember him from the episode three, um, Emotional Freedom Techniques topic, and um, I'll just reintroduce him in case you haven't um, heard from him yet. He is a behavioral health professional with Health Partners of Western Ohio. He's also an EFT practitioner and Reiki teacher master. He um, he is a like a behavioral health provider is what his current title is. He is a graduate of Miami University, where he received his Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, and he was a Golden Key International Honor Society member, Psychi member, uh, and did a senior honors thesis. He then moved on to Cleveland State University, where he received his Master of Education in Community Agency Counseling, and he was a member of Chi Sigma Iota, and I hope I pronounced that right. 
Um, Matt is, for those of you listening and not seeing any pictures, Matt is a um, almost 40 um, white guy, middle class white guy. Um, and our third participant today is Bruce Gerinser. And Bruce is also a white guy, um, you know, a white man, I, I should say. Maybe that's a little more correct. Um, he is 60 years old, and he is a very interesting, controversial um, member of our local community here in the Defiance area. He actually lives in Nay, Ohio, with his wife of 39 years. He and his wife have six grown children and 11 grandchildren, all of whom live in Northwest Ohio. Bruce pastored evangelical churches for 25 years in Ohio, Texas, and Michigan. Born in Bryan, Ohio, Bruce pastored several local churches and in 2005 returned to rural Northwest Ohio for good. Bruce is a blogger. The Life and Times of Bruce, I believe. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, or maybe it's The Life of Bruce. I'm sorry, Bruce, if I screwed that up, but I will put that in the show notes. Um, he is working on his first book and owns a photography business called Defiance County Photo. A committed atheist and humanist, Bruce is passionate about social, social justice, global climate change, religious fundamentalism and class warfare very interesting topics for somebody who grew up and lives in northwest ohio i just gotta say bruce is a brave man for putting that out there so now that you know who you're talking to besides me um if you'd like to know more about me as the host of this show if this is the first time you're tuning in welcome um you can learn more about me in episode one now we will get going on our panel discussion. I hope you enjoy, and if you have comments, corrections, questions, um, please be kind, but feel free to reach out um, in a constructive way. You can do that on Facebook. You can do that on Instagram, um, and I also have a brand new Pinterest page, Thrive Tribe 419, so if you'd like to reach out any of those ways, you are more than welcome to do so. Hey everybody, thanks for being here today. Oh, no problem. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, we're going to jump right in. I wanted to read the 20 cen- 2010 census um, information for Defiance, Ohio. This was the most current census information that I could find. Um, and we're just going with Defiance because uh, that's where we're meeting today. I know that this information is different for all the different towns around here, like Bryan. Toledo, you know, obviously these numbers are going to vary a little bit. So we have 16,494 people in defiance. 88.1% are white. 14.4% are Hispanic or Latino. 3.6% are African American. 0.3% Native American. 0.4% Asian. And 4.8% other races. And 31.4% of households had children under the age of 18, which I think is important to note because um, this is the next generation. And already this is seven years later, so we want to think about um, how, how we're doing with racism as we're moving forward 
um, with the next generation. I also wanted to bring up that um, I was really kind of shocked to find out that this guy, James Alex Fields, who uh, killed the young woman with his car and injured 19 others in Charlottesville, is um, from Maumee, Ohio. So, you know, I, it's awful enough to see this on the news, but then when you find out this young man is from this area, um, I thought, gee, you know, maybe this is something we need to cover. This is a little concerning. Um, the percentage of whites is even higher in Maumee at 94.7%. So he was living in a very um, predominantly white area. According to the New York Times, a former teacher of this young man said when Mr. Fields was a freshman, he wrote a report for another class that was very much along the party lines of the neo-Nazi movement. Merriam-Webster defines race as a family, tribe, people, or nation belonging to the same stock, b a class or kind of people unified by shared interests, habits, or characteristics, um, three, an actually or potentially interbreeding group within a species, also a taxonomic category such as a subspecies representing such a group, uh, a breed, a category of humankind that shares certain distinctive physical traits, and the definition of racism, according to Merriam-Webster, is one, a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race, two, a doctrine or a political program based on the assumption of racism and designed to execute its principles, or a political or social system founded on racism, or three, racial prejudice or discrimination. So we're gonna go ahead and start our panel discussion and our first question is, do you think racism exists in Northwest Ohio? And is it a problem about which white people need to worry? Why or why not? And we're going to start with Amoy. So I do think that racism exists in Northwest Ohio. And I wouldn't consider it to be a problem more of um, ignorance of people and not expanding on knowing more about other races or cultures and I think it is something that both white and non-white need to be aware of because I have the I am I am black I do not consider myself to be African-American because I'm an international student and I'm okay with someone saying that I am a black person um, I want when someone look at me to see that I am black not to judge me by being black but just to understand that how I fit into society may differ than how um, someone else who is white might, um, might fit in. Seeing my color as being black doesn't mean that I am less than you are. It's just that I may not have certain opportunities as someone who is white or I might be treated differently. So I definitely think that it's, a, um, it's, it's an issue that whites and non-whites need to be aware of because it is still present um, today as it was in the past. Okay, Bruce, would you like to chime in on this subject? Uh, yeah, I definitely would uh, agree that racism exists in Northwest mm -hmm. Ohio because racism exists everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, right. the, the difference here, I think, when you look at Charlottesville, for example, 
the examples there we saw a very in-your-face public very uh, <laughs> yes display of racism in Northwest Ohio, we have a, a subtle racism that lies just below the surface, and uh, you, you prick it, it'll come to the surface, but more often than not, it, it just lies under that surface, and it's assumptions that are based on uh, uh, someone's race, for example. One church, for example, I, I pastored that uh, uh, there was always this subtle connection between poverty and people of color. And so it was poor people were black people. Uh, even though they didn't know any black people, that was the assumption they drew, even though statistically that's patently untrue. And, and part of the difficulty was then when, you know, in the, in the seven years that I pastored this church in particular, we had one black church member. And, uh, and of course, he fit then all the stereotypes that they had. Mm -hmm. He didn't work. He relied on, you know, welfare and all those things, and so, see, they in their mind they said we're right. See, here it right. is. When no, he's actually not right, and I could introduce you to any number of, uh, whether it was Hispanics or Blacks, that do not fit your little narrow, bigoted uh, stereotype uh, uh, about Blacks in particular. So, mm -hmm. it exists. Uh, I don't think we're going to see signs on street corners. Um, though we have seen more than a few Confederate flags. Yeah, I was, was going to mention that. I see, I see those quite a bit. So you feel more. that the Confederate flags are an example of racism? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I would have to agree because I, I, I do think there's sort of a sentiment of like, this is, you know, it's a, it's a message sender. And I've definitely seen that more in the past year, I would have to say. Um, maybe it's just more that we're more politically aware of of that, um, but there it does seem to be more in your face. Um, I wanted to get to the second half of your question: Do white people need to worry? And I say absolutely because we, you know, this is you know, this is your podcast is Thrive Tribe, and I don't think we thrive if we ha if we permit this and we're okay with all of this because if 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 a member of our tribe suffers and struggles and is um, treated poorly because of the color of their skin or where they came from, I think we all suffer for that. Um, and, it, and it definitely, you know, we, as white people, we definitely do. Um, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, it's not like we're getting, getting more because somebody else is being held down. I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of out there. Um, I will say that I've seen sort of the, the disaffected white male, um, ethos kind of in some of my work of like, well, I can't get a job because I'm a middle-aged white guy and no one will hire me. And I find that to be, that's, to me, that, that comes across as racism. Um, but it's, it, they're not going to say those words, but it's, it's, it's very codified. So I think that's one way that I've seen that, that come up is like, I can't get ahead because, you know, I, you know, it, everything is being given to everybody else. Every opportunity is being given to a minority. So, And I think with that, I've heard it several times, and like I've previously stated, I am considered to be an immigrant um, being in this country. Um, and you hear it so many times on the news and on the internet, people saying that the immigrants are coming in and taking um, our jobs. But it's funny to think that some of the jobs that we do um, take 
or we are given because we are qualified for that job. So sometimes you see that it's more of those individuals who are not qualified for a job, may not right. have certain qualifications, that are complaining about someone, say, Indian, who is a doctor or something. It's like, you don't have the qualifications to be a doctor, so why not give the job to someone who is qualified, um, no matter where they're from? Because it's you're in this country legally, because individuals who are within these jobs, um, they have to have certain documentation to even be, enter the country. And if they're having these jobs, means that, um, okay, the government sees that they are qualified for these jobs and they want to give them the opportunity. All right, moving on to our second topic, and um, we've touched on this a little bit with the Confederate flags. Have you seen examples or experienced racism in Northwest Ohio, and can you describe what took place? Anybody want to go first? I can. Um, my first time actually experiencing racism, um, hands-on, was when I... It was in 2014, and I remember clearly because I was working with a music crew from Defiance College, and we were handing out programs because of an event that was taking place at St. John's Church. And the person I asked, you know, hi, good evening, would you like a program? He gave me like this scornful look, and he's like, no. And he stepped literally like one feet next to me and took the program from the white person's hand. So after that happened, the person looked and they're like, did you see what just happened? I'm just like, yeah, I saw it. But at the same time, I had to kind of keep a straight face because there were other individuals coming in. And then my next experience, I really didn't think much about that one because maybe at the time, maybe in that split second, he didn't want the program, then he changed his mind. However, I was um, mm -hmm. I was going into... Everybody's rolling their eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody yeah, believes that. Yeah, I'm sure that um, he, my program was probably just not good enough. But um, my other experience that kind of really um, touched me was I was going into Burger King. And the, someone was pulling out... And I was going to go through the, um, the drive-thru. I had the right of way to pull in, and he was kind of just there. He wasn't going or anything, because I was going to give him the chance to go, but he wasn't doing anything. And I had the right of way, so I was going to pull into the Burger King drive-thru here in Defiance. And my car is very low to the ground, and he was in like a van, which was kind of higher than mine. My window was down, his was down, and he looked down um, at me and said, You effing nigger. And um, sorry, nigger actually, which um, is where the disrespect is. And I didn't comment, I didn't say anything at all. My roommate who, um, who was with me, who is also Jamaican at Defiance, she said, did you hear what he just said to you? And I, I, I repeated his exact words. And uh, I said to her that um, I wasn't gonna comment to him. One, the, and, this, and this might be for something else, I, do, I don't agree with how some of the gun control violence is. I don't fully understand it either. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people have guns. I was like, I do not want to aggravate this person because I, I was afraid of being shot. And at the same time, being a Christian, I was just like, if I responded to him in a negative way, that would not be Christ-like. It was definitely something that affected me. And when I think on it, it still affects me because that was really my first time with someone. I was that close to someone who outright said something to me about it um and i i it kind of shook me it really did because it's like i i see it on the news and i've never experienced anything like that in defiance because i always thought that defiance are such a safe place since i've been here but that one incident kind of kind of it kind of opened up my eyes to see that okay 
there is some form of racism here in um, small town defines. Some people are just more open than others about it. Um, mine was um, being like being a white person. I, 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 but I am trying to be like more attuned to this because I do see it as something that affects people. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be okay, <laughs> but a lot of people it, it affects them more. Um, we were dealing with issues, and it's definitely prevalent today with um, what's going on with DACA. But um, you know, with the some of the issues with ICE, and um, you know, our our patient, we have a lot of patients where I work that are undocumented immigrants um, who do come because we are a community health center and we serve everybody regardless of their ability to pay. And um, so we do we do have a lot of people that are immigrants. And, um, you know, we were very concerned that, you know, we were going to have law enforcement coming in and, you know, taking our patients, and we wanted to make sure that we're safe. So where the issue came in was really, um, and, you know, I don't think anybody I work with is going to listen to this, but um, I had to get very, uh, I was very angry because I had people in my, my team of people, well-educated people who were um, making jokes about Mexicans and um, lowrider and, you know, things like that and, and, you know, catapults over walls and things like that. I'm like, I'm, I, and I went up to him, I'm like, this, these are our patients. These are our patients with families, with children. I said, I do not like what you guys are saying. This is totally inappropriate. And what I, what I kind of saw was like, they were kind of like, well, what's up his butt? And, and what kind of struck me was there's kind of the moral licensing of like, well, my, cousin or my sister is half Mexican or they're Hispanic so I have it's okay for me to say things that are off the cuff probably pretty racist and and it, you know and I and I realized that I've probably done that to you Amoy because you're you're my you're my, I know I have a black friend and it's like so I'm sure that I've been guilty of that myself and I, I kind of had to catch myself and say you know what I've done that and that's not okay. Just because I know somebody that's black doesn't mean I can make black jokes, doesn't mean I should, you know, that that's a good idea. Um, so that's one thing I, in that whole scheme that I kind of realized, like I needed to watch myself, even though I feel like I try to be a very progressive person, I've caught myself doing that. So sorry for the ramble. <laughs> but. That's fine. Bruce, do you have anything to add? Oh, I have. <laughs> this would probably be the biggest uh, question. Okay. I was born in Bryan, Ohio, so I was, you know, spent my first. And that's where I work, so. Okay. Yeah. So I spent the first six years there, um, you know, until we moved to California in the early 60s. Uh, you know, I didn't see a black person until then. We were on the train from Chicago to San Diego. It was the first time I'd even seen a black person. And so I was raised in a home. Uh, I, my parents became involved with the uh, uh, John Birch Society in the 1960s, very much a nationalist, white, uh, uh, American exceptionalism. Uh, and so they were very much uh, uh, white-oriented, and my parents were in their thinking. I remember as a young kid seeing, you know, lying on the, kitchen table, uh, you know, book, uh, you know, is Martin Luther King Jr. a communist, you know, and so that was that kind of thinking that, uh, you know, was in our, in our, in our home, 
uh, when there were the riots in the 1960s, you know, and uh, saw all the televised for the first time in Watts and Detroit. And, uh, you know, my mother would write very racist letters to the Toledo Blade and the Bryan Times about, you know, blacks getting exactly what they deserve, you know, because of their, of their lawlessness. So that's the, the kind of home that I grew up in. Uh, as, as I moved in and out of, always tried to get away from here. Always seemed to come back to here. Never could get away permanently. Uh, you know, I, I remember just before I went to college, uh, one summer a, uh, a girl that had moved away came back to the church that we were going to, an evangelical uh, Baptist church, and she had a black husband. And the outrage that that caused, never publicly, but you could just tell that this was not accepted. And, and it wasn't long before they moved on to some other place that was more inclusive. Now, as I got to pastoring churches, uh, there I saw it in more concrete ways. Uh, people would start talking about uh, color people or those people. And, and my retort was always, well, exactly what color were they? You know, I would try to use a, a very subtle, you know, don't call them color people. What were you talking about? Well, I knew what they were talking about. I wanted to force them to see, you know, actually what, yeah, say it out loud so we, could, so we could deal with that. What do you mean by those people as opposed to what other people? And um, now I don't know that I was very successful in doing that, even though I taught against uh, racist uh, ideas and whatnot. Uh, it just seemed to, to, to permeate... Uh, just a few years ago, we visited a, a Methodist church, for example. I'll tell where it is, but uh, we walked into the church uh, towards the end of Sunday school, and here was this matronly old woman. She's teaching her Sunday school class, and and uh, she uses an illustration about her grandson who was playing football at uh, a college, and uh, that she was upset that her grandson didn't get enough as much playing time because they always gave the playing time to the black kids. Mm -hmm. And that probably sounded normal to everybody sitting there. But I was horrified, you know, because I played sports, and generally uh, you play because you're good enough to play. That's generally how, right. how it works. Not always, but generally. Yeah. And I think that, that just in general, uh, my wife and several of my kids work at a large company in this area, and they'll tell me the, you know, the, the joke is that there's only three types of people who work here, morons, Mexicans, and Mennonites, you know, and so, and they will, and of course, there's then the jokes that come from, you know, the Mexican aspect of it, you know, the laziest people in, in the place are always, you know, the Mexicans, you know, so that's kind of how it works. Again, it goes back to my first answer is that there's this subtle racism that goes on here. All right, we'll move on to our third question here. So you guys and I all have college level education and you know, we've all studied psychology and social sciences somewhere along that education, some of us more than others. Um, you guys probably have studied a lot more about this than I have. How does your education on minorities inform your work and how does your work with minorities affect your beliefs and behavior? 
Um, I'll chime in a little bit. Um, I did have a I did have a couple of formal classes in these type of things. Um, like in in undergrad, we took a class called Stigma and Victimization, which was really eye opening. Um, so I think that was helpful to see that. And and we did take another class in in my master's coursework about. Um, I think it was it was basically like an ethnic studies class, um, but it was kind of counseling, um, and it was focused on you know differences in people. So I think that was extremely important. And then my my internship was in you know in a parole authority, so that was very very much you know dealing with those sort of uh, you know. The, the social structure of things like racism and things like that, which I think I was very naive to at the time. I think I understand it a little bit more now. Um, so that, you know, those things kind of, those had an effect on the way I, I, would, I approached, you know, working with clients. Um, but of course I learned even more from the clients that I work with about how, how they're affected by, um, you know, these things around us, um, you know, minority clients, um, people of different races, and how they see the world differently has, has informed me. Um, and, and there's no, you know, one view of that. It's, you know, everybody is an individual and has their own view. So, um, you know, I, I try to see that as, you know, help, helping to guide me so that I, I can try to see life through their eyes and, and the things that they deal with, you know, not, not only just their, the mental health issues and the um, socioeconomic issues and other things like that, but but what they deal with them day in day out that that I may never have to deal with. Um, so I, I try to I try to be very empathetic about that and, and understanding so that you know I can help people the best I can. And even even with doing that, I know that I have my blind spots and, and biases that are you know as as much as we try to work around that, like we we may assume things we may. You know, have that assumption, like Bruce mentioned, like, okay, my my patient's coming in who this patient has is is uh, biracial or they're black. You know, do I am I doing mental calculations of like, are they? Do I already assume that they are, have uh, socioeconomic issues? Um, so, are you saying that you're racist? Well, what I'm I guess what I'm saying is I'm 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 acknowledging biases that I may have that I'm you know not trying to have, but, you know, sort of, we're, do, we're already doing those calculations um, because we do a lot of training on, um, you know, looking at things in a different light and, and you know, cultural studies of, of being culturally competent, I think is the term we use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you do that and, and you're already, like, trying to be culturally, culturally competent, but you, you may be already overlaying a belief about your patient that isn't necessarily true. So you do fit the definition of racism once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have. I think as white people, I, as a white person, I have to be. I have to acknowledge that because I, you know, I can't walk around thinking like I'm. I'm above the. You know, I'm above the fray because I'm not. We, you know, I still make mistakes on it, mm -hmm. but I at least try to. Acknowledge that. Amoy's got something yeah. to say. <laughs> um, I'm listening. Are you a racist, Amoy? <laughs> if that's the case, like based on what Matt said, I guess I would be. But um, it's because I feel as though society, like even being a black woman, 
how society is, and even in Jamaica, even though racism isn't as a big of an issue as it is here because we're not as diverse, um, I've, I've grown up in it where it's like someone who is black may not be as competent as someone who is white. And unfortunately, sometimes like that still plays in your mind and um, you kind of prejudge someone just because of the color of their skin. And sometimes you really don't mean to, but uh -huh. we grow up in such a society where that's how it is. In Jamaica, they have this thing I'm going to say it in patwa first and then translate. Okay. It says, if you're black, turn back. If you're white, you're all right. If you're black, stay at the back. If you are white, you are all right. So, like certain people of my skin tone, which I'm very dark, could not get certain jobs in like a bank, like up front as a teller. They, that, there were several jobs where because you are dark skinned, you're not, um, and this is in Jamaica, you, you could not get. But so, if you were so like your sisters brown, are lighter than you. Yes, so my they, sisters are lighter. They would so have a better chance. They would have had a better you. chance. Yes, but you're all from the same family. Of. Yes, and I would have made and I have been made fun of for being um, darker than everyone else um, because I feel like a big part of that mentality is um, it comes from slavery, and it has a big part on how people think about someone who is darker versus someone who is lighter. I will say that we have definitely moved from that. For example, the high school that I went to in Jamaica, traditionally, which it was an all-Catholic at the time, um, it was only fairer colored people that could have gone there. Even though we're all Jamaicans, you had to fit a certain um, complexion. So at the time, I, I wasn't able to go there if it was years ago, but eventually they had to kind of change that policy. So it's like you grow up thinking about yourself a certain way as well as others around you. And I feel like it's, it's, it's sometimes a struggle not to have those stereotypical views. And I feel as well like the more you grow and the more you educate yourself, and this, and this is why I think that other people that are racist are ignorant, um, it's like you have to educate yourself knowing that, one, being a black woman, I am as equal as anyone else, and two, like anyone else who's from a different um, race, we're all on the same um, playing field. Like the playing field is level for all of us. But I'm with Matt. I sometimes have those stereotypical views, even about my own people. And it sounds like also your self-esteem has been affected, even by your experiences as being a darker black person yes. versus a lighter skinned and black. Person. Unfortunately, it is big here. Um, here, here in America, like you, people brag about being light skinned. So, for example, maybe huh. those individuals who are biracial, or maybe both parents are black, but they're just like lighter toned. Uh -huh. Like there is light skin, like it's a light skin fever kind of thing. Like it's a big thing, huh. and 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 us white people want to be darker and tan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. So that's that. why the ones that are light skin are kind of like seen as perfect because it's they have the nice, <laughs> they have the nice tone that everyone yeah. wants. So, like right. even within the whole, um the black community, like people. Um, act better than others just because of their skin tone. Interesting. Bruce? Um, again, lots of, the short, am I racist? Yes. That's the, I, sure. You can't be raised a certain way, live in a certain culture, and that not affect you. Maybe racist in recovery would probably be a better term. Mm -hmm. uh, about the dark skin, absolutely. Nobody would ever suggest that Barack Obama would ever have been elected in this country if he had had dark 
dark way. It just wouldn't mm. happen. And uh, we're, we almost, even with, within uh, racial judgments made about blacks in particular, we then subdivide it farther, depending on, as she mentioned, the, the color of their skin, the darker the skin. Uh, I mean, my word, we've even seen uh, news publications over the years uh, deliberately darken photos of, uh, of right. black criminals, you know, because it gave, give it, it plays into that more stereotype. sinister right. or something, yeah. But the biracial, uh, you know, and we, we have come to some degree a long way in these issues some degree uh, you know there was a time you know I'm old enough I'm 60 years old uh, uh, you know black person dating a white person was definitely uh, not accepted at all and uh, and so we've you know progress but you know fortunately we live short lives <laughs> and yeah. so we you know progress doesn't seem it, there's sometimes a long arc to that right now as far as my my training uh, I actually had to undo my training, because I went to a fundamentalist college that was, you know, four or five hundred students, and I, I doubt you could count on two hands the number of non-whites that were there. The church that was associated with the college was uh, a mega church at that time in the 1970s. Uh, ironically, closed today, but uh, they they had a huge bus ministry that went all, went all over uh, the Detroit area. And there, it was always uh, ironic to me that uh, for the normal services, the overwhelming majority of the routes were run in white neighborhoods. But then we had what was called afternoon Sunday school, which was actually called B Sunday school. And the majority of those kids were from inner city Detroit. Oh, wink, B. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, now they would deny that. And uh, But look, uh, the pastor of the church, was he was raised in the deep south in Alabama. Do, would he have said he was racist? Of course not. But racism shows in the things that we do. You know, it, uh, it many times doesn't matter what we say; is how we behave. And so, it, you're taking these all these black kids, hundreds and hundreds of them, and you're basically segregating them from the white kids that come during uh, the earlier service. So I had to undo all that in my mind. You know. I, I was taught in biology class that you should never marry outside of your race because it was a sin against God. Wow. You know, That's uh, when, crazy. When, when God cursed Ham in the Bible, God made him black. Okay, that was the mark that God put on him. Uh, and uh, that you can find that teaching alive and well on the internet if you look for it. And so th that's a lot to undo. Okay, the next question is about your work with children, um, you have all worked with children in your jobs. How can parents, teachers, counselors, and clergy help teach young people about racism, the dangers of racism, and ultimately the rewards of inclusion? Do you think that's even a fair question? Well, um, should we put the responsibility on you guys, <laughs> or you know, like who 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 takes the responsibility for that? That's because we're all racist here. <laughs> We've all well, kind of admitted that already. I think I think the the challenging thing is you know, in in the in the time that you may be with somebody, whether it's in a classroom setting or you know, like a counseling setting, is is well, like 
your what you're modeling, and you know you're modeling for for your kids that you work for. You're modeling for the parents of you know what what these you know what is you know what is inclusion. Um, some of my some of my clients and patients that I've worked with kind of get the crash course in this because they may have biracial children or biracial grandchildren and then it's like they they're sort of forced to deal with something that they probably otherwise would have avoided and you know so some of it is like you know having you know like how do you how do you talk to your kids and and you know respect their their identity and you know build their self-esteem so that they're not like um questioning themselves or you know you're not saying things around them that they're internalizing because you're you're making racist comments or or things like that and that, I think that's a big one um but um you know I, I guess I kind of go back to like kids kids you know they have to be taught that so if you you know if kids are born and you're always sort of treating people the way you want to be treated and you know seeing everybody as as we're all equal people and you kind of monitor yourself in the things you say and again I've been guilty I'm sure I've been guilty of of saying things that I shouldn't say whether it's about race or, or sexual identity or things like that um I think that's a big part of it too because kids pick up everything they 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 hear the things that you know like our our kid picks up every piece of an adult conversation so I think that's an important thing to teach them is that your kids are always listening and they're always watching and so we're you can't you can't say like now you treat Johnny like as an equal but then you know you make the jokes and you say things that are incongruent with that so I think we always kind of have to kind of self-monitor and again for myself I know I could always do a better job of that so that's I think it is um, everyone's responsibility, like so you stated, like the parents, teachers, and counselors, etc. Responsibility to teach um, individuals about inclusion um, mm -hmm. of every race. Um, as a pre-service teacher, uh, now in the classroom, we're definitely being taught about, for example, using multicultural um, books, whether this is just for reading or a textbook or something, because I, like that little form of diversity will definitely show students in our classroom that, okay, this person who is of a different race, you know, can accomplish these things, or maybe just kind of highlight that race some more in a positive sense. And also in the classroom, there might be students who are from that race, but never see the text about um, someone who, um, from their own race. Because a lot of um, books, a lot of TV commercials, that everything, it's geared toward more of um, white. Um, I remember growing up, I used to long for my hair to be um, nice and silky, like those shampoo com um, commercials, because that's all I saw. Did they play shampoo commercials like that in Jamaica yes. with white people because, and our yes, and long, shiny hair? Yes. Um, most of our station, like we have like a few like a few local um, things that they might show, but most things are international. Like most things are American. I grew up on American okay. TV. <laughs> so okay. I, I, I always longed for that. And I, I, I used to question God because I, I grew up Christian. Like, you know, like, why isn't my hair that way? And even now when I do see a commercial um, highlighting like a, a black product um, mm -hmm. for like a 
black persons here, I, I, I feel empowered and I love seeing um, those commercials because I feel like, okay, my people is finally being shown, we're finally being shown how to embrace um, or here, it's different, but it's ours and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And like, back to coming out of slavery and so many things, like there's so many influence that come from that. And because of that, kind of like, like you said, like people's self-esteem I think has been damaged and it's been passed on from generation to generation. And honestly, the most I've embraced myself, with whether it's my hair or my skin color, it's since I've been here. Because one, I feel like going to college kind of um, opens up your eyes to so many different things. Mm -hmm. And as overall, I kind of, I'm loving myself more, not mm -hmm. as an egocentric kind of a thing, but just knowing that, okay, it's okay to be different. Uh -huh. um, and, I'm, and I'm okay with that. I love that about you. I've seen you grow and blossom so much over the last few years since you first arrived. I just, I think you're right on with that. And it's interesting. I mean, I do wonder how or where you would be if you hadn't come here. Do you think that you would be who you are now? Probably not. Do you um, think the challenge helped you grow? Yes, definitely. I think... I think people need to be challenged in life. Yeah. If everything is always comfortable, then you're just going to be complacent kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're challenged, you kind of, it, it, it helps you to one, see that challenge not as something that's going to defeat you, but something that you're going to defeat, something that you're going to eventually overcome. And I've had so many challenges, not just based on my race, but all of these challenges. I look on challenges today as okay. Another barrier, but something that I will, I will definitely overcome. And I feel mm -hmm. as though, um, as a teacher, I'm really I'm going to do my 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 best to present that to my students. Mm -hmm. Whatever challenges that, that might come to your way, whether this is your race or not, how to overcome that challenge. Mm -hmm. And um, I went in the store the other day, and I was looking around for like a multicultural book for um, for like a birthday present, uh -huh. and. I couldn't find any. I really couldn't find any. And like seeing that, now I'm just oh, thinking. Were you shopping in Defiance? Yes, I was shopping in Defiance, and I couldn't mm -hmm. see much of anything. And I want to. Okay, now that I see that there's such a lack of resource in it, I want to ensure that as a teacher, I have that resource in my classroom. So even if students are not able to have that at home because maybe their parents just can't buy it or don't think that okay, maybe they need that type of book, I want to expose them to um, to that within my classroom. Well, thank you for bringing that up because as a parent, I, you know, now I'm thinking like, do our kids, they don't have any black dolls. They don't have any dolls that aren't white, you know, they don't have any dolls that look like they're Latina or Asian or, you know, we, right. we do have some multicultural books, but not many and they're yeah. not, they're not favorites, you know, maybe we should pull them out more often. Right. That's fair. I, I would have to agree with that and. You know, I'm probably going to the library later today, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be mindful of that as go. well. So. Yeah, and yeah. I want to pose kind of a challenging question. I'll be I'll play devil's advocate here for a minute because you know you've said that if you hadn't come here, mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't have grown. And I know that you experienced like a form of um, racism based on your skin color in Jamaica. Do you think that the racism that you've experienced here? has helped you grow? I mean, is that racism a positive thing? Is it a good thing? Um, well, I don't think any form of racism can always is necessarily positive. 
-hmm. but I will, I'm going to view it as a good thing because this way it kind of helps me to um, realize that I'm stronger than I thought I am. And like with that racial incident, I didn't really look on it as a race thing, but I look on it as how I handle it as an individual. Because uh, I could have either went off on that person and just told him exactly, you know, mm -hmm. everything negative and just use cursories and all that bad thing. But based on how I handled it, I, see, I have seen that I have grown. I feel like our racial um, um, incidents back home, it's more of a under the table kind of casual kind of a thing. It's kind of like how um, you just described it as being here in Northwest Ohio where it's not as kind of upfront in your face. But yeah. I feel as though, too, because we're so used to it in our society, because, we, like I said, it's passed on from generation to generation, so we don't really pay attention to it as much as we should. But that we've definitely come a far way um, from where we were. But I think mm -hmm. being here and being in the minority, and that was a big thing, and still is a big thing for me, because I, I was never in the minority back home. And I feel like that's why it kind of highlighted on me more to kind of pay more attention um, to it and to know who I am and to stand up for what um, my principles are and what I believe in. All right, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, people need to be taught. I need to be taught and practice constantly to be self-aware. Uh, we need to be honest about our own biases. This idea that any of us are neutral about anything it is deceptive. I get in, in discussions with people constantly who think that they're unbiased. You know, they're, it's just the truth, the whole truth and nothing. No. Mm -hmm. well, we're constantly shaped by biases that we have, ex things that we have experienced in life. I'm much more sympathetic towards people who are poor and uh, need uh, help from human services now because I grew up in a poor family. I know what it is to be embarrassed to go to the store and hand food stamps to someone. Or my mom was in a state mental hospital for a year, so I, I know the stigmas that go with all that. So that naturally makes me more sympathetic. But sometimes that can also make me ignore certain things in that mm -hmm. uh, subset of people too. And so, you know, with with my grandchildren, I tried to teach them. To, to, to be aware of uh, where they are and uh, and to look at their experiences and how, how that affects them and, and I think I think that the big thing for just in general in this area is that you, people need to encourage their children and schools can do this by field trips and what and whatever is to get out of this monoculture that we live in Go somewhere else. Expose yourself to things that you've never been exposed to before. Our children in an early age, one thing we did is we lived, I pastored in southeast Ohio, and it was whiter than it is here. I mean, it was, and it was redneck on top of it. And, uh, uh, Sorry, southeastern Ohio, but this podcast is not for you. <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, uh, and good people, you know, but we would, uh, on a regular basis, we would go to the uh, rescue mission in Columbus, which exposed my children to a completely different group of people. Certainly, there were more people of color in that group, and uh, and that forced them to see people that were different from themselves. And uh, 
you know, I think that's important. And I think I've benefited from moving away from here. And, you know, whether it was living in California or living in San Antonio, Texas or wherever, you know, uh, it helped me to develop different attitudes about uh, people of color and, uh, uh, and realize how complex <laughs> all, all of this really is, you know. Yeah. Our last question is, um, can minorities thrive in the 419? And what can we do to help make that happen? And I'd like to hear from Amoy on this one especially, um, since you are our token minority <laughs> person today. Well, well, well I think I, I'm going to let Matt jump in. Um, okay. Okay. Um, th th yeah, this is a tough one, and this is where my <laughs> lack of preparation shows itself. Um, I think we, I think we need to do everything we can to make sure everybody has the opportunity to thrive in the four one nine. And I think, I think you know, the starting point for that is is just being aware, like. You know, you were saying just a moment ago, like, I don't, I'm not even always aware of when these things are being said and done, um, because there is a lot of sort of undertones of things and, you know, what we call like dog whistles of, you know, sort of racist things. And I think it's important to, to call them out when they do happen. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if that's, that's, you know, we need to have those hard discussions, you know, I think if we're in our comfort zone of, especially as, as a white person living here, like, um, we, we may not always, the, the, the fight may not always come to our door, but we have to be able to, to go out of our door and say, Hey, this is not okay. Um, this is a problem. Or do you realize dot, 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 that, that this, you know, what, what this really says, what, whether it's something that is, you know, overtly racist or, you know, there's sort of that subcurrent of it that we see around here. And I think you're right about the coming to your door thing. I mean, racism didn't really come to our door until Samantha and then Amoy came to our door. You know, you, you brought racism with you. <laughs> Thanks. No. <laughs> but, you know, it really wasn't... It didn't matter to me as much until you and Sam were in our lives maybe a little bit with our other exchange students, but not so much because their skin color was lighter and they were not experiencing exclusion mm -hmm. as much as Samantha. Samantha is Amoy's sister who um, we knew before Amoy, but she was here first. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, it, it probably was affecting us in a subtle way, but we weren't noticing it. Right. And but now I can see that it was. One of the things that I did learn in, you know, in, in grad school is, is that we have to make things objects of awareness before we can really deal with them. We have to acknowledge that there's an issue with something before we can confront it, because otherwise it's like out of, we will only see what we are kind of trained to see. So we have to be aware that racism is an issue here. And not just in the 419, but that's what kind of our focus is today. But we need to we need to be able to, to call call it out when it when it happens, and and we need to, 
you know, we need to go out to the fight and, you know, whether that's, whatever that means for each person. I think we need to consider what's appropriate. Right. I mean, like, and that's... We don't want to go and, you know, as that, a mom of little kids, I want to make sure that I'm keeping myself safe sure. so that they still have a mom tomorrow. <laughs> right. But... And, and that's the challenge So how do you decide? I mean, Amoy, what do you think? It. It's like, um... I don't know if I'm the go out and join a march kind of a person. I really don't know because based on the violence that takes place in a march, I think I would be too scared to. And you might be targeted more than I would be. Yes. I don't feel scared about going to a march. So it's like, kind of like what Matt said, it's it's, um, each individual person. Mm -hmm. I may not be bold enough to go out there and march. Um, However, I might be able to use other mediums. Maybe that's Facebook. Maybe it's just another social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, several organizations um, at the college, maybe it's me sharing my opinion on something, even just in class. So kind of, um, it's like I was here thinking and Matt was like, (laughs) so he was reading my mind or something. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you you were definitely hitting um, the nail on the head um, with, it's a case where you have to admit that there is an issue. And being a black person, um, when there was a lot of killings happening last year, someone was saying that it would be good to have a march. But um, having a march in defiance may not be as significant because a lot of people would think, but hey, there's nothing happening here. So that may not be what would have, um, that that may may not have been successful to bring or point across. Yeah. However, I would say that individuals need to realize that there is an issue. How can I um, address this issue? Maybe it's not doing a march, but whatever your medium is, whether it's just Facebook, maybe it's just talking to a neighbor or a friend who is saying racist things and just to point out to them that, hey, that is not okay. And this is what I believe in. And I won't um, allow you to keep saying those things. Or I don't agree with you saying, um, keep saying those things because people can say what they want to. But it, um, your friends, your family members have to know what you stand for. And sometimes it's kind of scary to stand up for what is right. But at, at, at the end of the day, I think each person needs to hold themselves accountable um, in doing what is right. And I've pointed out before to uh, Matt and Rose, who are my host parents, that when they post things about racism and about Black Lives Matter and standing on the side of justice, it makes me feel good as a black person knowing that these people that I love so much and that are my family are on my side. They're on the side of justice. They're on the side that is right. And that's what I want from others. Um, I want my professors. I want friends. I want everyone to stand on the side that is right. And the sign that is right is the sign of treating everyone equally. So I don't care what anyone else wants to say that, oh, maybe it's the other side. No. If you're not treating someone equally, then that's not okay. That's not right. And I feel bad that it took me getting to know you and Sam to get to that point. I mean, that's, that's kind of sad to me. And, and just a, a quick aside um, before we get to you, Bruce, is that, you know, the treating everyone equally, I think sort of the some cynical views of that are, well, I hate everybody and I'm going to treat you as crappy as I treat this person over here. I don't care what color you are. I don't think that's the point. Um, (laughs) But I, but I hear that and I see that on, on social media. It's like, I hate that person. I hate that person too. Like, 
because I, I don't like myself probably, but you know, like I don't think that's the, the sense of it. And Facebook, well, social media in general, but Facebook especially is not a real good place to have a nice civil discussion about racism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, gets, you need to go... It's pretty dark pretty quick. I think, and I think that's part of the reason that I've been so hesitant to address this is because when people are behind screens, they are much more aggressive with their tone and their words than they are in person. Like, it's much easier to talk about this stuff in person, I've learned. It's not as scary as I thought it would be. So I'm going to try to do more of that. And, I mean, I don't think you should feel bad about not being aware of it. Because, like I said, it's, it's, it's a culture that you grew up in. And yeah. it's a case where... If it hasn't been an issue, if it hasn't been there like right in front of you, you will not see it as a problem. For example, I'm sure that there are several other issues that people of other races are facing. And it might be right there, but because it's not like in front of me. And unless someone from that race comes into my life or that particular issue starts to affect me, mm -hmm. then I would, I would not be aware of it. Mm -hmm. I would never assume to related to the question to ever speak for any other group I as far as what should blacks do to thrive in this area uh, that's on them to find that you know uh, you are the epitome of a European looking man yeah. you got blue <laughs> eyes and yes. white, yeah. were you blonde uh, red okay yeah, red, 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 red. yeah. yeah. you know so I you know I it, that's not my place uh, my place is to make sure that people are treated fairly and justly and uh, uh, you know I I have a some inkling about being part of a, a of a, a small group that is easily you know discriminated against because I you know I'm not Christian I, I don't believe and so uh, I'm an easy target and if you read my blog you can see over the last eight years the numbers of letters that have been written to the uh, Defiance Crescent News, you know, uh, hateful things about me, lies and distortions. And, uh, it's so interesting to talk to somebody who is um, not a minority as far as race, but a minority as far as belief. Right, right. And I have to constantly be because I'm a business owner too, so... <laughs> uh, I almost have to make a distinction between my business life and the rest of my life. How do you I'm, compartmentalize uh, Not very well, you know. <laughs> and I'm sure that it costs me, well, I'm not going to have, why would I want to have that guy, you know, you know, be our photographer for whatever, you know. So uh, uh, it, it's a problem. It's never going to be spoken, but uh, I know that because of certain beliefs I am I'm very and I'm at the one thing that one advantage of age is that I've kind of turned into an old curmudgeon you know and so I, I'm less concerned about what people think about me uh -huh. you know and, and uh, now I'm aware that words matter and so I choose my words carefully mm -hmm. but I'm pointed I'm direct few people have a problem understanding what I mean when I say it uh, and so uh, you know I think that uh, whatever group we find ourselves in we should be there shouldn't be discrimination period uh 
Uh, the fundamentalist Baptist shouldn't be discriminated against on his job, but neither should the atheist. And the same thing goes with race. We should, uh, the differences are never going to go away. And I don't know that we want the differences to go away, because I think that's kind of what makes us who we are. But we want the, we want the playing field to be equal for everyone, you know, and... Uh, How do uh, we do that? Well, I think we, we begin by pushing back any time where it's not what it's supposed to be. And people have to speak up, and it's, uh, it's difficult to do when you're in an area where the majority of people have a certain thinking. You know, and you're definitely this small little... You know, I've often said, you know, people of liberal politics, for example, we're kind of like vampires who only go out in the night, you know, and we lurk in the shadows, you know, because our views, for the most part, aren't accepted, you know, whether it's on abortion or, or any of those issues of race. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and so we're, we're, we're challenged to start with to deal with those things. and But we have to. Uh, if, if the future matters then we have to. If the president doesn't get us nuked by this time next week, <laughs> then uh, yes, those things yeah. matter because I want a better I want a better world for, for my grandchildren. Yeah. And uh, I want my I have ten granddaughters and one grandson. And so they're all gonna be grown women someday. I want them to have the same opportunities that men do. And they still don't at this point. Mm -hmm. It's better, but it's not where it needs to be. Yeah, and it seems like religion and politics is a little inseparable from this issue. And in this podcast, from the very beginning, I said, I am not going to cover politics or religion because I want this to be uh, inclusive and I don't want sure. people to fight. But I think this topic really transcends politics and it transcends religion because we're all human. Right. And this affects everyone. It doesn't matter what you believe, it's still affecting you in some way. If it's if you don't think it's affecting you, then you need to get out more often. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, I grew up here, there was one black girl in my class. That was it. We had some um Hispanic or Latino people um that were mostly families that worked at GM that had moved here from, like, Saginaw, Michigan or, you know, from out of town. Um, but one black girl. And, you know, I had an experience where I went on a mission trip to Mexico where I experienced racism um, and being a minority myself, which was quite eye-opening. But, again, you know, I came back to Northwest Ohio. And... Right. It wasn't until I really moved away and came back that I noticed how conservative it was here. <laughs> I just didn't even know what the difference was. I, I had no idea. It's like, take a fish out of water, you know? You didn't realize you were in water till they took you out. Um, you know, so, and then being, you know, close with Samantha and Amoy, then that really opened my eyes because when they started talking about the things that they were experiencing here and, and trying to help Amoy, you know, um, get through her college career and everything and some of the difficulties that she's faced, it really became apparent to me. And then with the man's connections to Maumee, you know, the man in Charlottesville, 
it, it just all start, started to come together. And I thought, you know, I need to address this on the podcast. This is, this is affecting us here. You know, it just becomes more apparent to me all the time. And, um, you know, I know that there are organizations in the area that are dealing with this. Um, I tried to get somebody from the YWCA to join us for this panel. I thought that would be kind of interesting. Um, and after I contacted them, they did post something on their website. And I, I want to read it. It says... I guess this is the second best to having them here <laughs> is their response from the website. It's interesting. So um, this is the YWCA of Northwest Ohio. They posted in the wake of the tragic events of Charlottesville. On behalf of the YWCA at Northwest Ohio, I send my condolences to the family of Heather Heyer. Is it Heyer or Heyer? Heyer. Heyer. And the other Americans who were physically and mentally injured in the uh, senseless racist violence. The YWCA denounces all forms of racism and have boldly stated our position in our mission to work toward the elimination of racism for 125 years. It is with purpose that I use the word bold. While I believe most Americans were appalled by the pictures of the white nationalists carrying guns and dressed in warlike attire, I was equally taken aback by the boldness these people displayed in showing us their faces. No longer do racists feel the need to hide behind white hoods and robes, but to boldly show America their faces. All moral Americans should be disturbed. But what did we expect when language to ban and build walls became acceptable commentary? When comments to be less careful when arresting individuals was uttered at a police officer's forum in Long Island, despite the public outcry for attention to police brutality, racial profiling, and deaths of people of color. When it's no longer politically incorrect to say racist things, racists act boldly on what they believe to be correct. Our silence co-signs they're wrong, and this is kind of what you and Amoy were saying. Our silence co-signs they're wrong. Racism that's hidden in policies and practices that oppress communities of color must not be overlooked. All Americans must be bold and stand against racism and all of its evil forms, regardless of who incites it. Racial justice is neither red nor blue, but totally nonpartisan. So regardless of party affiliation, racism cannot be normalized or tolerated. And then they say, contact the YWCA of Northwest Ohio for ways to get involved in conversations about race, advocacy, and ways to support our mission. And that was written by Lisa McDuffie, president and CEO. And I do not know her um, background or her culture or race or anything like that. Um, but I thought that was a pretty poignant statement. Um, on their website, they said there's several ways to get involved with the YWCA of Northwest Ohio. You can volunteer for one of their programs. You can donate items to the Battered Women's Shelter. You can donate money toward operating costs of the YWCA. You can apply to work there, or you can advocate for them. And if you want more information about getting involved, you can email admin at ywcatoledo.org, or you can visit their website at ywcanwo.org. The other thing that I wanted to mention is something um, I just found yesterday online. There's something called 
Oh, now I'm going to mess it up. It's a safety pin box. Um, I'll post it in the show notes to make sure I get this right. But it's this organization that does this subscription where um, you can actually take a quiz on their website to see if you're a racist. And I thought, I got this covered. <laughs> I can do this, you know? So I took their quiz last night, and I was pretty racist, evidently, according to their guidelines. Um, I don't know, you know, they are selling something, <laughs> but it seems to be a legit organization. I was looking over it, and it's basically, I think that you're basically covering their costs of um, educational materials that they send to you. Um, so it's this little safety pin box, and then they send you actionable um, things, like they're on these little cards that you can do, and they also have like a backpack program where they send you a backpack, and there are actionable um, steps that you can take. Um, and I think it's things like, um, like talking to your church about setting up a fund for racism education, or, um, you know, going out and volunteering in your community, or speaking up for somebody that you know has been targeted, things like that. And also, um, I think that they do a little bit of education about history, too. So, it's very, like, American history. Some of the things right. that aren't covered in public school. So. Well, and I think something you said to me the other day was run you know, maybe you should run for public office. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll Council talk about... Councilman we'll talk, Matt Hollow? <laughs> we'll talk about that separately, but, um, <laughs> you know, some people may be moved to do so. You know, whether it's your, you know, you're running for school board or you're running for, um, you know, right. your ward leader or councilman or something. A leadership you position. Know, that's, that, that's one way to make your voice heard and to... Speak for those who may not be able to speak. Mm -hmm. Any more comments? Have we covered everything? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for being here, you guys. This was really interesting. And I think it'll be um, even more interesting to hear any kind of feedback that we get on this. Because this is really outside my comfort zone as well as outside what I normally do with the podcast. So thanks for uh, speaking up and... Godspeed to everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Thrive Tribe 419 podcast. If you'd like to join the conversation or see pictures and videos, check us out on Facebook and Instagram under Thrive Tribe 419. You can find show notes from today's episode or listen to more episodes at tt419.buzzsprout.com or on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you left a review wherever you listen to the show. Leaving reviews helps others find us and lets them know that we're the real deal. And it lets me know that you've been enjoying the show and that I'm not just sitting here talking to myself. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a great day and keep thriving.